This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and for those who are just joining us, it's great to have you along. Whatever you happen to be doing on this Thursday, Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross joining you, priests from the Diocese of Fargo, class of 1999. So, um, yeah, that... Uh, that the 23rd anniversary will be coming wow. up next summer. We were just talking about how as we're getting older, uh, you know, the, the weather is affecting us more. And, and the weather sadly affected an event that uh, many of us were looking forward to, the Diocese of Fargo Collar Classic oh. basketball game oh. with priests versus uh, seminarians. It was scheduled for Monday, and the storm was pretty much over by then, but there was an awful lot of cleanup to do. And with uh, travel conditions, it just wasn't feasible to have it. But, uh, um in any event, uh, that that's a great tradition that's developed in in our in our diocese. You know, least. Father Gross, it made me so sad and depressed that I had to go eat another donut. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, no, uh, honestly. So here's the deal: like, you know, my age, right, it takes me 12 months to get ready for that game. <laughs> so, so it's a big it's a big investment, you know, from like being able to lift my knees above a certain level to get like a quarter inch I- improving that to, four inch vertical, to, yeah. You know, get special things for my knees to hold my massive girth and weight, and you know, to figure out if I could if I cut back one donut a month, how would that affect my uh, ability to play this game? You don't care, yeah. no, no. But it it just I mean, honestly, the, the, that game it's it is one of the for me personally one of the highlights of the year to mm-hmm. be with those seminarians. We have so much fun out there and all that we, you know we hope we don't kill each other and die and get hurt mm-hmm. and all that or whatever, but it, it, it really is and i families come the kids oh. play games and during I know, like, halftime as father kyle Metzger, who's a vocation director for the diocese of fargo was communicating about guys we're going to try to make it we're trying to make it and then eventually he had to say oh we have to cancel kind of thing and, yeah. and you can just tell the even in his the sadness of guys. i think the last four years i think three times it's been canceled now because yeah. of weather and covid and, and various mm-hmm. things and but you know, again, I think too. I remember as a seminarian how it, it, it was. You looked forward to that to, to see the priests and relate to them in a way like this or whatever. And it it really is a tremendous bonding. Right, right. So, you know, and how it it brings a lot of people together from the community, and they enjoy seeing priests and seminarians alike in a slightly different way than they otherwise would. But here's hoping that we can resume next year and uh, and be able to pull it and, off. And it's a great. Free, the freedom to eat as many donuts as I want now for eleven months. <laughs> yeah, the, the the fasting wasn't as it turned out wasn't strictly necessary for you. Well, on that happy note, um, we have with us. Uh, a, a, um, a semi-regular guest here on various Real Presence Live programs. We're very grateful for that. Uh, Jason Atkins from the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. Good morning. Great to be with you today. Thank you very much. There's a, we're, we're looking forward to a great conversation. Uh, kind of, There's a, a whole bunch of different topics that we can bring up, and we know that you were very well suited to uh, uh, speak to them, at least on behalf of official things that uh, the uh, public policy arm of the church is doing there in uh, the state of Minnesota. What I want to begin with is an article that is posted on the website mncatholic.org, uh, which is entitled, To Spend or Not to Spend, that is not the question. And um, we'll ask you to kind of set this up in terms of the, the specific issue that's happening in the state legislature there in, in Minnesota and uh, what you are responding to with that article. Well, it, we have in Minnesota, we have a large budget surplus 
which is a blessing, $7.7 billion. And some of that one is one-time money, and some of that is more um, institutional or, or built in uh, to the budgetary framework. But the question is, is, you know, how do we spend? How do we order our priorities as a community? And a budget is a moral document. It's a reflection of a community's priorities. It's a reflection of a community's values. And there's a lot of competition for those budget dollars. And the question is, is what do we do with it? Um, and why should we spend it or why shouldn't we spend it? So these are inherently difficult questions, and they're, but they're also inherently moral questions. And the church has something to say, an important perspective to contribute in those conversations. Great. And I'm, I want to just pull a brief quote from here as something that I thought was uh, uh, particularly striking, maybe as, as a thesis statement. Um, and uh, one of the arguments that you make in the article, which again, mncatholic.org, I encourage people to look up when they get their chance, uh, is that um, we're, we're not really coming at things from a strictly partisan perspective of, you know, maybe like um, some of the more progressive voices that, uh, you know, there's always enough money for everything and that sort of thing and then you know others from from the other side of the aisle uh the um the the article includes this quote the root word of economic of economy is the greek word oikos meaning household we need to start directing our resources toward families making it easier to get married stay married have children and bear the cost of raising them uh, can you develop a little bit uh, what uh, you're you're communicating here with that uh, w- with that point Jason, do we have you with us? We, well, we will endeavor to get him back in well, case his call you, just dropped out. How about, out. Father Gross, you and I opine about what we think it means Absolutely. until he comes back, and then, and then we'll jump That's around. what we will do, uh, the joys of live radio, and we hope that we, we are working to try to reestablish the connection so with Jason. Th- this brings us back to Dr. Dr. Andrini in Cardinal Seminary, our Greek professor, which is my greatest teacher I've ever had in my life, was Dr. Andrini. Oikos means, the economy means the household, the overarching household, okay? And we're, we're dealing here with what we would call social justice, so that it's talking about the right relationship or everyone's due. Okay. okay, there we go. Let's get the expert. Yes, yes. Uh, welcome back, Jason. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know how much you had heard, but we were talking about this quote about the meaning of the uh, word economy from the Greek word meaning household and investing toward uh, families. So if you could just uh, expand upon that point for us a little bit. Sure, we see that connection there in a lot of the words we use today, ecology, economy, um, there's an inherent connection between these issues, and uh, we start with the household. And the family the Church teaches is the domestic church, that first unit of society. Oftentimes when we look at politics and public policy, we're dealing with the impact of family fragmentation, family breakdown, for example. And a lot of the political issues um, that we deal with, uh, education, crime, poverty, have a connection and nexus to the family. So rather than just going after the symptoms of the problem, why don't we go upstream and secure the well-being of the family? I think a lot of folks are realizing that it's not simply sufficient to promote marriage and the good of marriage and and a good, healthy culture. Those are things are necessary, but they're not sufficient. We also need to be promoting the stability, economic stability of the family. We need to be making sure that it's easy to it's easier to get married and start a family to have access to good work uh, to support the task of raising children to support caregivers uh, whether it's caregiving for young people caregiving for elderly people and so looking at family economic stability is an important measure 
of our budgetary decisions and getting right to the heart of society. And that's really what this is about, is focusing those priorities on that central social unit of the family. Would there, like, as, as you, those, that's all, I mean, it's very beautiful, what you, what you just said. Is there anything in particular you'd say, here's how you could direct those dollars to the family that would be helpful or meaningful or make, a, make an impact or make a difference? Absolutely. And so the you know, one of the things that we were just experiencing at the federal level was the uh, child tax credit uh, that is now expiring just here in a couple of days. And that child tax credit, for example, has been extraordinary in terms of lifting kids out of poverty, reducing child hunger. Uh, so it's amazing what happens when you give people money. It makes it easier for them to live their lives. And so the child tax credit at the federal level that was providing subsidies directly to parents and families for the well-being of those children and making it easier, uh, that's a cornerstone principle, like uh, being able to just have that cash allowance to make it much easier to cover the expenses necessary to raise children, and especially with inflation and everything else going on today. Raising children is expensive. That's undeniable. So what are the concrete ways in which we can support with our budget surplus that task of raising families? There's also caregiver tax credits, for example, whether that's uh, caregiving at the end of life, like I mentioned, or uh, helping uh, people with paid family leave. So those are just two concrete manifestations of what this might look like. But again, how are we directing our resources? We can spend our resources as a government on a lot of different things, but why not support that first and essential task of family and child well-being uh, right with our public policies and our public dollars? Very good. Um, so um, I guess uh, as you're reading the tea leaves, we're going to have to step away for a break in just a minute or two here. Um, what what are you hearing in terms of the um, the, the wish list of, of particular things for um, uh, uh, applying that surplus, and uh, what kind of is is on your radar? Well, Republicans are always talking about tax cuts, right? And and those are important. If we're if we're overcharging people for the cost of government, then it's only reasonable that uh, tax cuts of some variety be on the table. But at the same time, there's also a question of, well, can we use this surplus to strengthen the well-being of our state? So the governor, if, for example, Governor Walz here in Minnesota, is proposing uh, paid family leave and child and and fixing. Uh, the child care system, pumping lots of money into the child care system. Uh, we think that our, what we're proposing are the things I mentioned a moment ago, like the right. uh, child tax credit or the child allowance are kind of the best of both worlds in the sense that you're giving people, putting money back in people's pockets, but directing it toward children and families. And at the same time, you're giving them more flexibility than a, than a child care system would provide for people who want to actually stay home and take care of their kids instead of paying someone else to take care of their kids. So what we're proposing, I think, is uh, a way to transcend that partisan divide and is really the best of both of those proposals from Republicans and Democrats. You know, I'd say from a Catholic perspective, that I mean, if, if in any way we could accomplish the, the, the integrity of the family at home and help them at home to be stable, that's going to give to every area of society if we can, if we can find solutions for that. So that, that would be wonderful. Right. Well, we're going to step away just for a moment here. Uh, we are visiting with Jason Atkins, who is from the Minnesota Catholic Conference. A lot of other great uh, issues on tap, so please stay with us after the break. This is Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, 
and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. SJ Machine, proudly named after and dedicated to St. Joseph, provides quality machining and induction heat treating to a variety of industries. Just as St. Joseph worked diligently to meet his family's needs, SJ Machine strives to understand and meet your production needs. Prototype to production, working together toward success. SJ Machine can be reached at 701-347-0155 and are a proud supporter of the Real Presence Radio Network. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, the Director of Advancements for Real Presence Radio with today's Plan Giving Minute. Philanthropy is an expression of your generosity with the understanding that your gift to the church will make a difference. There are many ways in which you can make a gift to further God's work. Most of us are familiar with cash gifts we give regularly to Real Presence Radio. However, another way of contributing is through Plan Giving, which may allow you to give more than you've ever dreamed possible. The goal of plan giving is to help you plan your estate and charitable giving in a way that benefits you, your family, and our mission. There are several ways you can make these plan gifts and enjoy tax and income benefits. For more information, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. The Mustard Seed Catholic Store is South Dakota's place to purchase Catholic books, gifts, and decor. With locations in Rapid City and Sioux Falls, we are here to provide you with gifts for the Catholic occasions in your life. From baptism to First Communion, confirmation to weddings, and ordinations, we pride ourselves in having local artists share their creative talents, making rosaries, crucifixes, artwork, coffee, and books. We are located in Rapid City on Main Street, in the new Diocesan Building, or in Sioux Falls on Grange Avenue across from Costco. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live. Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross joining you from the Diocese of Fargo from our Grand Forks studios. We have Jason Atkins with us from the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And off air, we were just you know, listing several of the, I don't know you if you'd call it hot-button issues well, that are Gross, going if it, around. If it was the, up to you and I, we'd have Jason on for 12 hours. We'd exhaust him <laughs> of all his knowledge here. So. Well, we, we'd factor in a lunch and a dinner break. Uh, we, we'd at least do that part anyway. But um, uh, there's one other... Uh, specific topic that we wanted to uh, uh, approach with you as we were talking about the recommendations that the um, uh, the, the Catholic Conference is making uh, with regard to spending wisely uh, surplus monies in the upcoming legislative session. Um, you also wanted to remind us about the uh, principle of solidarity when it comes to Catholic social teaching, um, how we could maybe fulfill that more faithfully within that uh, within that context. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the word principle, because the Church's advocacy in the public square has to be principled. It's not just a grab bag of issues that we find compelling. It's really rooted in principle. And in the first segment, we talked about the principle of the family as the basic unit of society and the importance of supporting the family as that principal social unit, that school of virtue, that place of charity. And that's where solidarity also comes in, too. That's where the families where we learn solidarity with our, with, uh, our brothers and sisters, but then we learn to live that solidarity with our brothers and sisters outside of our home as well. And so that's a 
big word that often gets thrown around, a jargony word like solidarity. But what we're really talking about in the definition of the Church is social charity or social friendship, and that's rooted in, in two basic ideas. The first is our, our common brotherhood, uh, the brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God, that we are his children, but there is an equality among us as, his bro- as brothers and sisters, as children of the one Father, children who receive the Father's many gifts. We all have unique gifts, roles, and responsibilities in the social order, and a solidarity is really about helping us and working together to live those gifts, to contribute those gifts, to recognize that we are our brother's keeper, and that we all do better when we all do better. My problems aren't simply my problems. My problems are my brother's problems. And I need to also look at the challenges mm-hmm. my brothers and sisters are facing as my problems as well. We are not isolated from each other. Uh, the, the, the sort of capitalist or right-wing vision of society is that we're all individuals in competition for scarce resources. And then the right. left-wing version of society is that we are classes of people in conflict one and one another. The Church proposes instead social charity and social friendship rooted in our identity as brothers and sisters under the one fatherhood of God. And that is a huge, important difference, because it shapes how we look at all of society and all of politics. So solidarity is a very, very important principle when we're talking you know, about what the, ought we to do in political life. One of the images I, I like to give to people, I think that will simplify it for people, is what the Church proposes is the cross. And that, that vertical beam, that's the principle of subsidiarity, from the Father down to creation, doing at what level you can do and only going up to the higher level for that which you can't do to, to, to appeal to the authority above you. So it's that vertical relationship between the Father and all of creation. And then that, that horizontal arm of the cross is the brotherhood and charity that you've been speaking about how we affect one another. And though if you get subsidiarity and solidarity together, it's going to be in the shape of a cross and, and it's going to bring hope and life to to our world. And so that image... Anyway, when I think, you know, because social, Catholic social teaching can seem so overwhelming to people when they hear that. Like, what does that even mean? And I think if we just have the image of the cross in mind, understand these two directions, subsidiarity and solidarity, suddenly it kind of simplifies the thing. Really, oh, we're talking right now about the, the horizontal outreach, mm-hmm. uh, brothers and sisters under the Father, as you said, and th- this idea of, of charity yeah. towards one another. And now we're like, okay, well, we can talk about that. That makes sense. Right. You know, and, and Father, I guess I may have to borrow that analogy in a, in a homily. <laughs> I, so trust me, I didn't come up with it. So, <laughs> Yes, indeed. Well, um, Jason, we are grateful to, to have you with us. Um, so there are a number of different things that we also wanted to uh, approach with our um, limited time with you. Uh, toward the beginning of December, a lot of people were glued to the uh, oral arguments that were presented at the Supreme Court uh, regarding the um, uh, bill from the, 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 the state of Mississippi with the... Um, um, the that that would basically uh, challenge in its very framework uh, the Roe versus Wade decision some uh, 49 years ago. And uh, we're just kind of curious because I'm sure like many other people around the country, they're looking at what uh, mechanisms are in place. Uh, first of all, if you could just kind of share with us some of your takeaways from um, what you noticed in that uh, the exchanges and, and the discussions that took place there. And at least in Minnesota, um, what is you know your next move like in the Catholic uh, conference, uh, if in the summer there is a decision announced that would, um, you know, that that would essentially do away with uh, Roe versus Wade as we know it. 
Well, I hope you don't find this uh, off-putting, but I want to take a pause on that discussion and go back to that point about solidarity. because the Please reason do I brought, so. I, the, the reason I brought that up was to apply it to specific issues that we're looking at at the Capitol this year in Minnesota that are going to be significant. Excellent. Uh, gam- gambling is going to be the big issue, uh, non-budgetary issue in Minnesota. And both parties, unfortunately, are putting forward the legalization of recreational gambling. Now, sometimes people think of the Catholic Church as, well, we're the bingo church, you know. You've got pull tabs and charitable gambling and things like this that happen. And the church, of course, is not against games of chance. But what we're talking about doing is opening sports books, uh, sports wagering, for example, all across uh, Minnesota. And this is going to have incredibly harmful effects. Uh, no one denies the social costs uh, that gambling has. But for the, you know, the idea that we're going to make National Football League games more interesting to a few, a few people who can afford to gamble, and at the same time take on the broader social costs, the, the hit that this is going to be to families, to young men, the people who already have addictive personalities. The social costs of legalizing recreational gambling are going to be great. And again, what are the benefits? Well, a few people are going to enjoy and find more exciting their, their NFL games on Sunday because they can wager on whether Tom Brady's going to score four touchdowns. So we see this the pushing of recreational gambling and sports betting, uh, the push to legalize marijuana, uh, the push to legalize assisted suicide, a bunch of things that we would have considered vice to satisfy the wants of individuals, but which will all have tremendous social costs. So you see this problem of solidarity playing a big role in our public policy discussions. We're looking at politics as a way of satisfying individual wants, as instead of a way of promoting the common good. And we have to think about that principle of solidarity as we consider these big issues uh, at the legislature in 2022. So would you say, Jason, that, I mean, the, the appeal to this, both sides of the government say more conservative, more liberal, is that they see it as easy money. When you, when you talk about mar- legalizing marijuana, people are like, why would the government do this? Well, the tax money that comes off of it is huge industry, or, or the gambling. There's going to be huge tax money that comes in, and, and I think... I think that we look at that and say, oh, that, that's, easy, that's easy money that we'll get for the government to take care of people. But is anybody considering the destruction of the family, the nuclear family, the destruction of marriages, everything that comes at, at the price of that easy tax money? That's right. You're going to have to pay down the road. The, ben- the economic benefits of things like gambling and marijuana are always overstated because that's part of the propaganda is to get these things passed. But what's never considered, just like you said, is the social cost that this has down the road. When someone, a family, goes bankrupt and enters the bankruptcy system, that costs the courts money, uh, for example. The cost of family fragmentation and family breakdown, uh, the loss of productive, you know, the loss of uh, using wealth in a productive way and channeling it into things like gambling and marijuana and vice and and other things of that nature. So these things have have costs, again, Thinking about that term oikos, the household, the household of the community, everything is connected. This is what Pope Francis talks about when he talks about integral ecology, that everything is connected. That Once you put something deleterious or harmful into the social system, that's going to percolate out throughout the whole of society. And these are going to be really, really big challenges. That We're looking at it from a short-term perspective. But, you know, as we always say in politics, follow the money. Uh, The money is very powerful.
Right. You know, and when you think about, uh, I think the caricature a lot of people have is, uh, of bookies is a very shadowy kind of a back alley thing. You know, there's just this um, strong cultural push to bring it very much out in the open and uh, probably not seriously considering the, um, you know, the, the side effects that well, would well, come Well, and about. again, I mean, it's, you just follow, go down the stream. I mean, it, it's going to be, there's going to end up being new laws. It's going to totally affect, like, the penal system the uh our prisons our jails are i mean because when when you introduce something like this there's always consequences for those who lose i mean why why is why does why is gambling why do people want because the house always wins i mean the house always wins if if the house didn't win they wouldn't set it up this way you know so the house always wins well then what does that mean well you have a bunch of individual losers and and so then you apply that across the family the penal system i mean think of all the the traffic fatalities i mean you just you just follow that through and Mm -hmm. what looks at the top like oh we got easy tax money and we have a few winners but next time i'm gonna win you know the payday is coming well the enticement again it's we started this program today talking about what can we do to help the nuclear family yeah and and one of the greatest quick destructions Mm -hmm. is yep legalized marijuana or so i wanted to ask before we step aside for another break here jason are there any other particular examples that you wanted to talk about with regard to um the application of solidarity with uh legislation and and what um the the folks there in st paul are looking at well the opposite of of solidarity is the throwaway culture and so you know when people are having challenges whenever people are having problems it's easier to just give them to, to medicate it, right? Uh, some recreational marijuana. Well, people are struggling. Let's just allow them their recreational marijuana. They can medicate the problem. Or when they're suffering, when they have psychological distress, when they have a serious illness, let's just give them a vial of pills and make it easier for them to go away. So when instead of walking with people, accompanying them in difficult situations, being in true solidarity with them in difficulties, we're looking at, as a society, just giving people medications, whether short-term or more final forms of medication and uh, just really asking them to go away instead of being in solidarity with them as they struggle. And so you see the push to legalize marijuana, the push to legalize assisted suicide as part of this throwaway culture rather than a true culture of solidarity and social charity. So these are troubling issues that Minnesota Catholic Conference is very vigilant about and, and paying a lot of attention to. We think we're in a good spot for 2022 at both the marijuana and assisted suicide issues. We don't see those passing in 2022, but we're very, very uh, um, looking very strongly at the gambling question and how we can try to put a stop to that and put the brakes on that yeah. here. Very good. Well, we are visiting with Jason Atkins from the Minnesota Catholic Conference. We have another segment with you about um, a wide-ranging number of other topics, and we will dive into those after this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision offers vision therapy services for children and adults. Symptoms of poor reading comprehension, headaches, tired eyes, and poor coordination can be indicators of eye movement conditions which affect reading and learning. Eye movement disorders are often undetected by school vision screenings and regular eye exams. For more information about how vision therapy can help treat these conditions, our website is www.lumen.vision. 
Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. In this season of giving, give a life-changing gift to yourself or someone you love. Give the gift of education. What better time than now to complete a bachelor's degree, earn a graduate degree, or tailor your education with a certificate from the University of Mary. With classes available online, in the evenings, or a combination of both, your degree at Mary will fit into your schedule. Give yourself the gift of a flexible, affordable education from Mary. Learn more at online.umary.edu. Online.umary.edu. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Just wanted to mention very quickly that throughout uh, numerous parts of our listening area, we have uh, listener engagement events that happen during the course of the year, uh, including banquets. And there is one that's going to be in our neck of the woods in Fargo in early February, I believe. It's the first Monday, the 7th of February. That, you know, when we turn the calendar page to January, that's not too far away. So we just encourage people who are in our local area area to, um, uh, to, to, to plan to uh, join us for that. It'll be a wonderful event. There are other banquets uh, staged in other parts of the uh, listening area, and the best way to keep track of those is to go to our website, realpresenceradio.com. Very d- dynamic speaker who's coming in, and, and again, it's, it's always like a, a Catholic come home fest. Where you, you meet it is all, a Catholic the, reunion. I, I always look and say the, these are the, some of the thousand most beautiful souls you ever meet in your life who are underneath this roof for this one banquet. It just It's like a you get a shot in the arm, boost the arm of all the, the faithful Christians out there who are fighting the good fight and come together for one evening. It's yeah. so inspiring. Can't yep. say enough good about uh, those those gatherings. So we have Jason Atkins with us from the Minnesota Catholic Conference. And uh, just to recap uh, something that we had mentioned in the last, um, in, in the, uh, last segment, that uh, there's been a lot of talk about what is going to happen with regard to uh, abortion in the United States, that if the Supreme Court uh, goes the way we think they may go in uh, considering the, um, uh, the the law from Mississippi that was uh, brought up in oral arguments in, in early December, that um, there will be uh, an onus upon the individual states. And so from Minnesota's perspective, uh, Jason, can you give us a little bit of a primer of where things uh, would stand and... Um, uh, what what you guys are what you guys are looking for? So even if uh, the Supreme Court declared that the Constitu- U.S. Constitution was abortion neutral and then sent the state issue back to the states for consideration, 
and discussion at that level. In Minnesota, we have our own Roe v. Wade, and that's a case called Doe versus Gomez, in which the state Supreme Court uh, found a right to an abortion, and not just a right to an abortion, a right uh, to a taxpayer-funded abortion if you're an indigent woman. So uh, we have that on the books, and that would require a constitutional amendment uh, to be overturned, unless, of course, we had a, a majority on the court that was willing to do that, which we don't at this point. So that would require some form of amendment to overturn. And we also have uh, our existing pro-life laws being challenged in state court right now, where abortion proponents think they have uh, very friendly judges who are willing to strike those down. So Minnesota needs your prayers on this issue, but ultimately we need to both convert hearts and minds, and uh, we might need either a, a change in the court or some sort of constitutional amendment to allow us to continue to legislate on the abortion question. So it really is, I mean, what I hear you say, it's really a both-end thing where, I mean, we really, as as faithful Catholics and Christians, we need to be involved in that political system and, and, and really be, you know, getting the, the converted Christian message out there for, for life and so forth. But then there's the other side of it where we need to be engaged evangelizing, catechizing, praying, sacrificing for the conversion of every person in, in our culture, our society. Yeah, the, 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 the supply of abortion matters. We want, so we want to work on pro-life laws, laws that limit the availability of legal abortion. But as long as one state allowed abortion, any woman in this country would be able to get one. So ultimately what we do have to do is still convert hearts and minds and also work on the demand side, make abortion unthinkable, help yes, women, not just women illegal. in need. That's exactly right. The U.S. bishops have uh, uh, have this program, Walking with Moms, walkingwithmoms.com, which is a way of connecting parishes to pregnancy resource centers and, um, and helping women in difficult pregnancies to make abortion unthinkable. Because that, if we do that and limit the demand for abortion, then it doesn't matter as much what happens on the political landscape. So we've got to be working at that level as well. Mm -hmm. And that's where grassroots is so important with regard to whatever state uh, you may be in that uh, are listening to this program to speak to your local representatives and 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 make your voice heard. You know, again, a reminder for our listeners, because like, especially a word of encouragement to all those for the last 50 years who've been involved at that grassroots level. So often, you know, we we set our, our hearts and our minds, our sights on like, overturning the big law or this law or whatever. M- meanwhile, I'd say probably the greatest victory we have is that one-on-one, hand-to-hand, lo- like solidarity that we were talking about earlier. We're just one-by-one one approaching people, loving, communicating the gospel, the gospel of life, right. one-by-one-by-one-by-one. <coughs> mm-hmm. one yeah, you know what I think of, Father, too, and, and Jason, if you want to chime in on this, I, I've seen how in examples of numerous states, governors or others really try to crack down on pregnancy help centers, these organizations, you know, that are working with people on, you know, a one-to-one basis to, to provide alternatives. And, uh, you know, it, it's taken a lot of work to try to, um, you know, to, to overcome that uh, momentum and to keep these places um, viable. That's right, because those places are a credible witness of the pro-life movement. Um, they show that we don't just care about making sure that kids get born, but also walking with moms and assisting them, uh, loving both the mother and the child. So pro-life pregnancy resource centers are a powerful witness of the gospel of life. And of course, that's why the pro-choice side wants to shut them down. Here in Minnesota, we're going to be advocating for more money for our positive alternatives program, which assists pregnancy resource in this important work of walking with moms. Texas just passed $150 million of funding for pregnancy resource centers. They said 
if we're going to limit abortion, then we need to actually walk with moms and make abortion unthinkable as well and assist people if we're not going to allow abortions. And so we think that's an important step as well here. So we'll be advocating for more money for our positive alternatives program. But you're right, though, that uh, governors in some states and politicians want to shut these down because they are a credible pro-life witness. No, that's beautiful. I, you know, one thing I, I wonder if we could maybe get some comments from you on this. I mean, really hot in the press lately has been kind of the whole transgender issue. And w- one of the areas I want to talk about, because like you look at your seven principles on your website, you know, one of them is the dignity of the human person. That's that's right at the top. And I'm thinking specifically at this moment, the dignity of women and, and how like the understanding of, again, John Paul gave us this teaching of theology of the body, the man, the woman, the complementarity, how we need to own our identity, who we are. Like men need to be men and bear responsibility, so that women can be women, bear their responsibility. We do this together. And if and if we're going to a- adopt these these transgender kind of uh, ideals and principles and put them into law, I mean, we're we're kind of legislating the woman out of existence in a certain way. I mean, like we're we're just wiping out half of our our population, and it's going to affect our. Catholic schools. I mean, we can just go down the list of you know, sports and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, Jason, from your perspective, how, where is this from the public policy side of it? The you know, just the social teaching of the church that arm. How is this affecting you guys on the ground there? Well, the issue, of course, speaks to the importance of having a proper understanding of the human person. And as Pope John Paul said, without a proper understanding of the human person democracy devolves into thinly disguised totalitarianism. And isn't, isn't that what yeah. we have right now? Cancel yeah. culture. If you question this new emerging paradigm that uh, people can change their genders, uh, then, of course, you, you're in danger of being canceled. And the sad thing is that at the public policy level, there are too many people who know that this is wrong but aren't afraid to, are afraid to stand up against it. Uh, Democrats, by and large, I think we can just be honest here, are all in the bag on this stuff, but Republicans are too timid to take it on. So at the policy level, you don't see a lot of things happening. You know, we see in our neighbor to the south, in South Dakota, it's like pulling teeth uh, to get something passed, and they're a little farther along on women's protecting women's sports than some of the other states are, but you've got the Chamber of Commerce really leaning on Christy, Governor Christy Noem there to not do something with this. So, uh, unfortunately, people well, well, know this is help? wrong, but they're afraid of getting canceled and standing up against this emerging uh, lie about the human person. Can you help me understand, me, our listeners, too, who are as confused as I am, w- what advantage does any political party have in embracing this ideology? I mean, where, how does it benefit? I, I'm trying to understand the benefit of it. Well, the the benefit is there's huge money. Again, I, we talked earlier, follow the money. There's an incredible amount of money uh, that drives these agendas. And then, of course, you have corporate power. So you, people talk about woke capitalism, uh, both fueling the uh, proponents of it, but also neutering the opposition on the Republican side as well. And then you have the universities, the media, the commanding heights of culture. Um, it, where I was stunned, I was walking through the halls of the uh, congressional office buildings a few weeks ago, and there were multiple congressional representatives with the American flag, their state flag, and the transgender flag uh, outside of their office. This was absolutely stunning to me. But you see the way in which this powerful movement of elites, social and corporate, is working to change the culture very, very proactively. And they're funded by a lot of money and uh, the media narrative. So it's very difficult to stand up against this. 
Okay, so let's just take a practical example, and maybe of all of them, this is the least important, but I think it's going to be the most visible, because I'd say there's going to be more important things towards the family and all that, but, okay, we have this example of the swimmer, transgender swimmer, who... Yep. I, who identifies as a woman, but, Leah Thomas, uh, 22 years old sure. from the University of Pennsylvania. So, and biologically is a man, and they're in the same competition, and is smoking the competition by not just seconds, but minutes. Right, and then a number of the uh, swimmers on the team were so upset that they mulled boycotting their final home meet, but decided not to for fear they'd be banned from the Ivy League championship. Okay, so now why I'm bringing this up is, like, what are we saying that women aren't real? That they don't exist? That there's, I mean, so, so help us understand that, that part of it, Jason. What, what are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> well, we have, I mean, the way in which this idea of human nature that's essentially plastic or malleable is so ingrained uh, in our culture that people feel po- they don't have the intellectual resources to stand up to it. I mean, I think that's the key thing here is we've lost our understanding of who the human person is. Is sex uh, merely an identity that's assigned at birth that people choose that they take on? Is it interchangeable or is it something fixed? Is it part of our nature? Is it a gift that we're given? And the, our happiness is about conforming to that. And so we bought into this idea of a plastic human nature that when we're confronted with these realities, and the groupthink that goes along with them, we don't have as a society the intellectual resources because our outlook is fundamentally libertarian. We're all individuals who can choose our future, just like we choose yeah. our clothes in the morning or, uh, you know, choose what we're going to eat. We can choose, eventually this goes into choosing our gender, especially when the media tells us over and over and over again that we can do this, and our outlook is fundamentally individualistic. So I mean, it should, be e- it should be easy to protect women's sports, and it should be easy to ban... Uh, sex transitions for minors who can't really consent to these things. These should be easy things. So why aren't we doing them in the halls of our legislatures? That's a real powerful question. Kind of behind what I hear you saying, like, you're basically describing a crime against solidarity. I mean, that was the basic principle we were talking about. And if we do this thing, we're we're no longer in solidarity with one another. We're, we're, We're oppressing each other. Well, when we don't know who we are, we can't be in right relationship with one another, whether that's male and female in the family, uh, whether it's brothers and sisters, uh, who we are as a society, whether it's how we play on sports teams or interact in the workplace. Uh, when human nature is fundamentally malleable, it actually isolates us because we're made for relationship and we're made for rightly ordered relationships. And who we are as male and female is a very, very important part of that. In fact, it's goes to the very heart of that fundamental unit of society, circling all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, the family. If we right. can't identify as male-female, we can't form families, which are the basic unit of society, the basic unit of solidarity and civilization. And we really have no future. We're just isolating ourselves as individuals. And that is leading to these psychoses that we're seeing play out all through society right now. Right. And unfortunately, we're going to have to leave our conversation there. Jason Adkins from the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks so much for uh, spending this time with us today. And uh, our uh, prayers definitely go out to you folks and the great work that you're doing. Thanks so much. And one day we'll get that long extended conversation and we'll really have at it. That'd be a lot of fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. We have one segment coming up as we're going to continue to uh, span the globe of some interesting topics in the church and the world. Please stay with us. And Real Presence Live Live will be right back after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. (laughs) 